Today's reading comes from the Gospel according to Mark, the 8th chapter, starting with the 31st verse. That is the Gospel according to Mark, the 8th chapter, 31st verse. That is the Gospel according to Mark, the 8th chapter. And when you have it, please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Then he, that he is Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo a great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said this all quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world? And forfeit their life. Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. God's word for God's people, and God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Uh, We are going to talk a little bit about proper preparation, proper preparation. I have a a growing appreciation for preparation, for practice, uh, for development. Whenever I see somebody that's really good at something, somebody that excels at a given task, whether it be a good singer, a good actor, a good actress, a good athlete, I wonder what they did. How much time did they put into practice for them to do something so effortlessly? How long did it take them to get to that level? How long did a Michael Jordan, a Kobe Bryant, or a Steph Curry spend working on their jump shots? How long does Denzel Washington spend preparing for a role in a movie? What did they do to prepare? And not only over the course of their entire careers, because you can have a a, a 40-year career and people not know you until the last four or five years of your career and think you got successful overnight. So, uh, so there's a preparation time over the course of your career, but there's also a preparation time before each event or each opportunity. So I wonder about that kind of preparation. What did they do before showtime? What happens the big moments right before the moments? And the text that we covered in your reading is actually a time of preparation. Right before the passage that we read in chapter 8, 31 through 38, pretty much at the beginning of chapter 8, Jesus has uh, fed the 4,000. Then the Pharisees asked him for a sign. And then he went and healed blind Bartimaeus in Bethsaida. And the disciples didn't quite get what was going on. So every now and then he had to try to spend some time breaking it down and explaining it to them. Uh, He was on his way to Jerusalem. That was the end point of his travels, but he kept stopping at different points. 
And uh, then he stopped at Caesarea Philippi when he decided to break it down to the disciples a little more. And he asked them, you know, who do people say I am? And they answered him. Some said John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But he asked, but who do you, you meaning the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, and he warned them not to tell anyone. And if you, that was in the Mark version of the gospel, but if you were to read uh, the corresponding passage in the gospel according to Matthew, which is right around about chapter 16, verses 17 through 19, after Jesus says that, after uh, Peter says rather that Jesus is is the Messiah, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. So he tells that he's preparing them for a journey. He's Jesus is preparing his disciples for a journey, and this journey that he is preparing them for is what we actually get this time of Lent from. Uh, It's not just about ashes on your forehead on a Wednesday and then giving up candy and soda pop and whatever else you like uh, for a period of time. This was actually, the Lenten season historically was about consecration. It was about preparation. See, the old church, uh, they didn't just baptize whenever they felt like it. There was, there was a process to becoming a Christian. And they usually only baptized people one or two times a year. And one of those times a year was Easter. So this, there was a 40-day period of consecration leading up to Easter when they would get baptized where the new Christians, those who were looking to join the church, they spent some time in catechism, which is a series of questions and answers. And you, that's how they taught then. They didn't necessarily have books or, uh, you know, scrolls out there in the old historical church. So they taught by teaching people a series of questions and answers. So, you know, do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker in heaven and earth. Do you believe in his son? I believe in his only son, Jesus Christ, who was conceived. See, they asked questions back and forth, and that's how you taught what we believed as Christians, and it was called catechism. So they spent this time practicing, preparing, learning catechism over this 40-day period. And then they got baptized on Easter or initiated into the faith. So Lent is about Jesus journey to Jerusalem it's a period of preparation and during this period of preparation the first point is made Jesus makes a revelation let the church say revelation Revelation. Jesus tells them that the son of man is going to suffer and not only suffer but suffer greatly this was not a parable This was not anything about mustard seeds or figs or planting seeds in the ground or bridegrooms being prepared for the bride. No, no. This was straight talk 
no chaser. The son of man is going to die. He's going to get rejected by a lot of people, elders, chief priests, scribes. He's going to get mocked. And not only that, but if you was following him, you next. To enjoy the gifts of God's rule, you have to be willing to be persecuted. To quote one of my classmates at seminary, Owen McKnight, he said that the Markan gospel says, I am the suffering servant. Jesus says, I am the suffering servant, and you got to be one too. That's a revelation. And after the revelation, we have rebukes. Let the church say rebukes. Uh, <laughs> to first century Jews, first century Christians, the people of God going around during the first century when they were looking for this Savior, this Messiah that had been listed in all the Old Testament prophecies, when they were looking for this Savior, they were looking for a militaristic Savior. They were looking for somebody to overthrow the government. That is what they needed. And that is actually why some people do not accept Jesus Christ right now as the Messiah, because they are still looking for that militaristic Savior. At that time, during the first century, the biblical times, they were expecting the Savior to come and overthrow the Roman government, overthrow the Roman Empire. That's why you had uh, what they call Messianic claimants before Jesus. You know, people will say, well, there were 16 other saviors before Jesus because those were people who actually tooled up and went to war with the Roman government. And one of them, by the name of Judas Maccabeus, actually defeated the Roman government for like a whole week. And so when he came into town, they laid palm branches down. He rolled in on a cult. They said, Hosanna. They said all that for him because they thought he was the savior. But (laughs) he could only hold the Roman army off for a week because they called in back up and up. Well, looks like we need to look for another savior because this wasn't the one. But I said all that to say that people were looking for a militaristic savior and they think that when the Messiah was to come, if if the people who don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, they expect they're still waiting for the Messiah. And now they think that when that Messiah comes, that there will be peace in the Middle East. They feel like this, the Messiah would settle the Israeli conflict and all of the wars going on right there because they're looking for somebody with the military strength and might to overthrow. Mm -hmm. And so when you take that kind of thinking, when you are looking for a military general, a war hero, somebody that is going to win the war and overthrow the oppressive government, the system that we are currently in, when they say the person that you thought was that person says, I'm going to get rejected by everybody and I'm going to die, that's kind of hard to swallow. They can't really imagine their war hero being killed and not only being killed, but being killed like a common criminal. So that is why part of the reason why rather Peter pulled him to the side and was like, what are you talking about? Because he couldn't process that. He was looking at the human things and not the divine. And that is why Peter attempted to rebuke Jesus. But Not only did Peter rebuke Jesus in this, but Jesus 
rebuked Peter, telling him to get thee behind me, Satan. You're focusing on human things when I'm trying to handle something spiritual. You're looking for a military general when I'm coming to save your soul. So Jesus dealt with the spiritual issue. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This is spiritual. And taking care of the spiritual is what ends up helping the natural. Jesus was taking care of the spiritual. He exercised discernment. He knew how to handle things spiritually, and he knew when to handle it in the natural. So Jesus, notice he didn't say when Peter started talking, get thee behind me, Peter. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he knew that Satan was trying to tempt Peter in this situation and take over it. So he dealt with the spiritual. So in this period of preparation, we have our revelation and we have our rebukes. And we also have the requirements. Let the church say requirements. requirements. Jesus was speaking uh, during the passage. If you look at verse 34, he says, and he called to the crowd with his disciples. He didn't just say the disciples. He called to the crowd with his disciples. So he's talking to the people around him as well who hadn't quite come on yet. Just in case this is what you want, let me tell you what's going on first requirement he has is to deny yourself. What does it mean to deny? It means uh, to declare untrue, uh, to refuse to admit or acknowledge, to give a negative answer to, to refuse to grant, to restrain oneself from gratification of desires, to decline, to refuse to accept the existence of truth or validity of. You deny yourself. You need to do all of that to yourself. You need to take yourself out of the first spot and put Jesus first and what God wants first. That's what it means to deny yourself. Being a disciple means that you're going to die. Not only die a physical death, but a spiritual death. You have to deny yourself and do everything that it has in the the definition of the word deny so that you can put Jesus in the place that you had yourself in. Everything is second to Jesus. That's what it means to deny yourself. And so you're required to deny yourself, and you're also required to take up your cross. Uh, (laughs) During the biblical times, a full cross could weigh up to 300 pounds. And the cross beam weighed 100 pounds on itself. And a lot of times when you were carrying your cross, they might have had the the vertical post already at the place where they were going to crucify the person at, and they had to carry the cross beam. They had to carry a 100-pound cross beam. They had to carry their instrument of their execution through the streets and get mocked and made fun of until they got to the place. But the the cross beam was wide, and it was 100 pounds. So it was really hard to carry something else while you were carrying your cross. 
I'm going to say that again. You can't carry a lot of other things while you carry your cross. Not only that, but sometimes when they had to carry this cross beam through the streets and everything towards their execution, sometimes they were already tied to it or already nailed to it. So they got nailed or tied to their cross and had to carry it down the street. So when you're carrying your cross, you can't carry anything else. So the phrase, carry your cross, was not about giving up stuff you like. It was a hard task to do. And you can assume that people before had seen a crucifixion before. Because that was the way they executed common criminals that day. So they'd seen crucifixions before and here you have Jesus telling them you need to carry your cross. And even if they're not seen it, they'd heard of it. That's a pretty fair assumption to make. We may not have seen an execution these days in prison, but we've heard of it. We know what to expect. So when he said, carry your cross, this wasn't just about being all somber and solemn about something. This was a hard task. Jesus was asking them, basically, you want to be like me? Kill yourself. Take up your cross. It's hard. It's time consuming. It's physically challenging. It requires a lot of focus. So you had to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you had to follow him. What does it mean to follow? To go, to proceed, to come after, to engage in as a calling or a way of life, to proceed or walk along, to to be or act in accordance with, to accept as authority. To accept as authority. To pursue in an effort to overtake, to seek, to attain, to follow knowledge. To come into the existence or take place as a result of consequences of. To come or take place after in time sequence of order. To cause to be followed. To copy after. Mm -hmm. To watch steadily. To keep the mind on. To attend Closely to, to keep abreast of, to understand the sense of logic of it. That is to follow. Nowhere in there did you see where the followers got to tell the leader what to do. Even when a, a term like proceed was used in the definition, there's a path already determined or instructions that you follow. So you may be going first, but you're following instructions. You may be going first, but you're following a path. When you follow someone else, you do not determine what direction they are going. So when you follow Jesus, you follow the path, the word. You follow the instructions, the word. You follow what Jesus did. You don't tell Jesus what to do. So you deny yourself. You take up your cross. 
and you follow Jesus. That's the requirement. That is the requirement. That is what is required of proper preparation. And then we have the rewards. Let the church say reward. The reward is salvation. We do all this for our eternal salvation. We do all this so that we know where we will go when that time comes. We know what's going to happen when God comes in his glory. You see, the, the reputation, the shame, and honor, all of that was important to the people of God during the biblical times. That was how they worked. They, they cared a lot about your name and what was associated with your name. Your reputation had to mean something. And everything you did or didn't do was associated with not disparaging your name. Amen. It was important then, and I learned that it is important now. Uh, Warren Buffett, owner of Berkshire Hathaway, uh, one of the wealthiest companies in the world. If you want to buy one share of Berkshire Hathaway stock, it'll cost you, last time I checked, over $80,000. Because he, he doesn't split it. He doesn't do anything with the market. Everybody goes to him every year to find out what's going on with stock. And all this company did is buy other performing companies. He knew how to look at a company and say, that company is a good company. I'm going to buy it. And then they continue to make money. Berkshire Hathaway owns Geico. Berkshire Hathaway owns a whole bunch of other companies that make a whole lot of money. If you ever look up Warren Buffett, and he's so humble. He still balances his own checkbook, still lives in the first house he ever bought, but he's worth over $70 billion. But people always ask him all the time, you know, how did you do it? Um, how did you make all of this money? How did you... Um, how did you know to pick these companies? How did you know to put the right people in place so that when you made all this money, you didn't lose it? Because he's been in business for a very long time. And he said, for more than 25 years, when he talks to his managers, his brand managers, because the brand manager would be the CEO of a multi-million dollar company he just bought, that he put a manager over it to run it. And he said, for more than 25 years, we can afford to lose money. Even a lot of money. But what we cannot afford to lose is reputation. Not even a shred of reputation. And then in another quote he says, it takes 20 years to build a reputation. But five minutes to destroy it. And when you think about that, you'll do things differently. Interesting that one of the greatest business minds in the world. One of the wealthiest men in the world. And not just being wealthy at doing one thing, but wealthy at doing a bunch of things. Uh, but when they asked him for advice, and they ask him all the time, he talks about reputation and passion. He doesn't talk about money. But even though Mr. Buffett is saying this now, Jesus said it a little bit earlier than he did just a little bit, saying what would it profit them to gain the world and forfeit their whole life? Some translations say to gain the world and lose your soul. 
you have to focus on priorities. And I don't hate money by any means. And unlike a lot of Christians I run into, I don't think that the Bible hates money either. Mm-hmm. Nor do I think that being a Christian requires you to be broke. Amen. All right. Uh, you know, people like to say, and I've even seen it at Bible finance seminars, somebody will stand up and say, money is the root of all evil. That is a misinterpretation of the scripture. 1 Timothy 6 and 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So it's not money that's evil. It's the people trying to do ill-gotten things to get it. So as it says, shoes obtained by devilish ways will burn your feet. (laughs) So it's not the money. So I don't hate on rich pastors. I don't hate on rich people. I'm not concerned about the money. It's a tool. Ecclesiastes 10, 19 says, Feasts are made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money meets every need. Some translations say money answereth all things. Money is a tool just to be used. Just like there are a lot of tools. Time is a tool. You can use your time for God or you can use your time for yourself. It's just a tool. Now, that being said, I don't think like money is the end-all, be-all either. Because even with that, I feel that there is an even greater reward. I'm reminded of Kirk Franklin's song, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. (laughs) 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 That is what the preparation is about. The preparation is about bringing us to Jesus, getting in the right focus, putting our minds on the right things, looking at what's important and comparing it to whether or not it should be anything to Jesus. And if we are to be a disciple, if we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, everything has to become second to Jesus. Why? Because he made everything second to die for us. He could have very easily said, well, I'm Jesus, I'm good. The rest of y'all can work this out yourself. I will not die for your sins. I will not come to be your salvation. But he focused. And he did this period of preparation because when he went to Jerusalem, he knew what was going to have to happen. He knew that he was going to have to suffer greatly. He knew that he was going to have to die, but he also knew that he was going to have to rise again early on that third day with all power in his hand so that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish Amen. but have everlasting life. Amen. Those who call on the Lord's name will be saved and were able to call upon the name of the Lord because of what he did. Amen. Amen. Died for our sins and rose again. Mm-hmm. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open.